0: Well, your pastor, Ricky, says uh, very kind words. But I, I need to tell you um, I mean, I was supposed to be in Juarez for the pastors there. And somehow Ricky found out about it. And before I know it, he had, would you come preach for us? Sure. By the way, it's twice. By the way, there's a conference. By the way, we're inviting the whole city. <laughs> I mean, that is a pastor's pastor. <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to spread the gospel and to uh, and to leverage the uh, the opportunities that are available. However, I must say it's the first time I've ever heard Christ centered preaching referred to as driftwood. However, <laughs> it's still a joy, and uh, I'm thankful to be with you. I I do want you to look at the scriptures with me this morning, and uh, turn to Romans 12 uh, as you're. Uh, turning, I'll, I'll also tell you, I'm so thankful. I mean, uh, Ricky set up for me. He knows my avocation is fishing. So uh, yesterday, pastors uh, John and Todd also took me uh, fishing. And uh, heretofore, they were known as uh, fishers of men. And as of yesterday, one of them is known as a fisher of fish. Or a fish. <laughs> but we had a good time, didn't we, Todd. See, I didn't ask John because I know the one who caught the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Romans 12, are you there? The Apostle Paul is at a crucial point in the book of Romans. He has just spent 11 chapters saying, This is what God has done in Christ for sinners like you and me. And then right here he says, Now, how do we respond? And there's going to be lots of things. You know, there are certain moral responsibilities. There are certain civil and corporate. But before he says any of that, this is what he says. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Father, it's your word. Your spirit gave it, and your spirit opens our hearts to receive it. So by that continuing miracle whereby you were at work to make our hearts soft to receive the goodness of the gospel, we ask that you would work now so that we would be strong for you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, it has been two weeks since the announcement of the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri. The mastermind of 9 11. And if you do not remember that, it is despite the significance of the death of a significant leader in Al Qaeda, it made hardly any impact upon North American culture. We're just tired of it. We're tired of the Middle East. The names all run together Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, Afghanistan, Kuwait. We just don't want to hear it anymore. No more forever wars. Keep us out. We don't want to be involved. As a nation, we just know the answer to the question. Can anything good come out of the Middle East? In answer to that question, Christian news commentator Jim Dennison writes this. In recent years, so many Muslims have been coming to Christ That ministries throughout the Middle East are putting ads in newspapers asking this question. Have you seen the man in white robes in your dreams? The ads are a response to the remarkable phenomena of quite literally tens of thousands of people having precisely the same dream. A man in White robes beckons those who have been taught to hate Jesus to come to Jesus and to receive his mercy. Now, I have to confess something to you. I'm, I'm a rather traditional theologian, and I don't know quite what to make of this. I mean, it, it doesn't fit my categories. But of this I am absolutely certain. It is evidence of an amazing mercy. At the very same time that that we as a nation grieve of the darkness and the pain, even the shame of having expended billions of dollars and more expensive the loss of American lives to supposedly bring democratic reform to the Arab world during the time of the Arab Spring and look back and think, did any of that matter at all? And so we get enraged, we turn on one another, we turn on our leaders, we wonder what our failures were, and while we are hanging our heads in pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. It is the way it always happens. Out of darkness and pain and shame Jesus comes, and mercy flows. Where is the fastest-growing church in the world today? Anybody know? Fastest-growing church in the world. Iran is right, in Iran. Do you recognize that in the last 15 years, more Muslims have turned to Jesus Christ than in the last 1,500 years? Please do not fail to marvel at what secular journalists do not or cannot see. Out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. It is always the nature of the gospel. Some of you in the room were old enough to remember in 1948 when the communists threw the missionaries out of China. And we would all have assumed the gospel is done. God had just begun, listen to me, today, this Sunday, there will be more people who worship Jesus Christ in China than in the United States. Much smaller proportion of the population, but such a large population that I will say it again, there will be more people worshiping Jesus Christ in China today than in the United States out of darkness and pain. And shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. That's the way the gospel works. I mean, just think if you had been one of the disciples who watched the Roman soldiers crucify Jesus on the day that the darkness came upon the earth, and you thought of the pain of the moment and the shame of having given yourself for what seemed like a lost cause. And then even after the resurrection, you began to worship with a few believers in Jerusalem. And and even the Jewish priests began to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And at that moment, the Jewish authorities wanted to crush the church. And so they sent all who had named themselves as Christians out of Jerusalem or killed them. And what happened instead was the believers became like seeds on the wind taking the faith of Jesus Christ across the world. You would have thought, hopeless, done, finished. But out of that darkness and pain and shame, mercy flowed. And we just don't have to think at the grand level of nations and historic events. How does the gospel work in the lives of individuals? I mean, you just have to think about the person who is writing this letter. The apostle Paul. What was his first name before Paul? Saul. And Saul, what was he doing? He was, as Saul, persecuting Christians. Held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. By his own testimony had men and women... Taken to prison, tortured, and murdered to carry out a mission against Jesus Christ until God called him through a voice from heaven to come to the mercy that was in Jesus Christ. So that this Paul now writes to all people the book of Romans and he goes back to the darkness of the beginning of the world. There was a man named Adam who brought sin and corruption into a world so that things turned dark And pain and shame came upon all because what happens as a result of Adam's sin? There is none righteous. No, not one. But out of that darkness, there was this this message that through the family of Abraham, miserable family, awful legacy, that the nations of the earth would be blessed. So much so that that Paul himself, who's actually a descendant of that Abraham, would, would say about himself, it is true that there is none righteous, no, not one. For even what I want to do, I do not do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? What's his answer? Thanks be to God. <laughs> Through our Lord Jesus Christ, there is therefore now No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come, height or depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he tells us again, out of darkness and pain and personal shame, what happens? Jesus comes. And mercy flows. And he wants you to know that when he begins this wondrous chapter, before he tells you how you live out your moral and civil and corporate responsibilities, what's to motivate you? I mean, what do we do with this mercy that's so wonderful? We kind of put it up on a shelf and admire Isn't it great that God is merciful? Or, or do we not recognize that it's that mercy itself that is to be the motivation of the Christian life? I mean, that's really the first thing he's saying. Make mercy your motivation. What are the opening words of Romans 12.1? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Do your translations say holy and blamable? What do they say, acceptable or unblameable? What do your translations say? I was listening to Ricky in the first service, and he was saying, he was saying, he was saying unblameable. And that is in some translations. You had the NIV before you had the ESV, didn't you? <laughs> it's the same idea. You are, you are holy and acceptable. Now, you will not hear the impact of these words until you consider what could have been in their place. What the apostle says is, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. What do our hearts tell you is the motivation of the Christian life? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the guilt you will feel if you don't. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the rejection that you will face if you fail. But he says none of that. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, you, you, you read the words, but it may not be actually what your heart hears. I think about it from my own experience. Now, I can say these words fairly readily in the King James Version. And the reason was, when I was growing up as a, a child in an evangelical church, like a lot of other kids growing up in evangelical churches, I was a member of the BMA, the Bible Memory Association. And if you were a member of the Bible Memory Association, you got a new illustrated book every month. I mean, it's beautiful. And if you memorized enough verses, you got a prize. I mean, I can remember with pride when I got my glow-in-the-dark cross of Jesus. You know. <laughs> but you know, it just kind of does something to you when doing something spiritual gets you a reward that performance results in approval. It means you can say a verse like Romans 12:1, but your heart may hear something very different. Now, I can say the word still in the King James because it's kind of deep down in the DNA there somewhere now, having memorized as a child. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. We did a lot of beseeching in the King James days. I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holding it up to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, everything I said was right, but it's not what my heart heard. Here's what my heart heard. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Is that what it says? But isn't it what our childlike hearts hear? You be a good living sacrifice and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God. You must hear me. Holy and acceptable are not a statement of what you will become. They are a declaration of what you are. You are holy and acceptable to God. And most of us want to start debating the apostle. How can I possibly be holy and acceptable to God? I know my weaknesses. I know my failures. I remember the argument that I had with my spouse on the way to church today. I remember all the difficult... How could I possibly be holy and acceptable to God? How did the verse begin? I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. The apostle has just spent 11 chapters saying this is what God has done in Christ. He sent one who was sinless to die a sacrificial death for you and for me so that our sin was put upon him and his righteousness would clothe us and we would be made right with him not by any merit of our own but by faith in what he has done for us. Now, says the apostle, I appeal to you by these mercies so on display in Jesus Christ that you present your bodies to God sacrificially, yes. Why? Why would he receive them? (laughs) Because you're holy and because you're acceptable to him. It's a beautiful truth. And it's meant actually to be the motivation of our lives that gives us strength and ability to serve God in all the ways that he calls us. Now, how does it function just in ordinary life? I, I had to think of this recently when in our part of the country a, a storm came across the co- country and it, it, it stopped the power in a lot of neighborhoods, a lot of areas. And my son, who lost power in his home for several days, called and said, can my family come and stay with you and mom for a few days? Of course. So, I mean, just to describe clearly what happened, he has no power. <laughs> we have the power. They're coming to live with us. My son, his wife, his daughter, his son, and the dog. <laughs> and they're going to stay with us. And, you know, that, that goes really nice for a few hours. <laughs> And, and then, you know, I just so admire my wife because, you know, while, while my tank of, of patience and compassion is kind of moving toward empty, <laughs> she's still got a full tank. I mean, I'm just amazed at her tenderness and care for our family. I mean, I, I look at sometimes the antics and the mistakes of our grandchildren, and I look at my son, and I say, serves you're right, bud. <laughs> this is what you put what? us through. But my wife is so different. She will see in the antics and the misbehaviors of our grandchildren the mistakes we made with our children. Why didn't we do better? Why didn't we teach better? Why haven't we done more? And in a sense, my wife's tenderness becomes her very vulnerability. She will remember an angry word, a, a, a mistaken judgment, and an error made decades ago. And it will begin to send her into despondency and despair. And I've heard her speak to young moms at times about what helps her. And she says, you know, what I've learned to do when Satan comes to me and tries to tempt me with the memories of the mistakes of years ago is to remember never to go into the file cabinet of painful memories Unless I first open the drawer with the key that is called mercy. I'm not going to look at them without the key that's called mercy. Because if I don't remember the mercy, those memories will destroy me. They will destroy my joy. They will destroy my strength. They will destroy my ability to love these young ones now. But with the joy of the Lord, that is our what? That is our strength. And our joy comes by remembering The mercies I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, because that's what you are. And that's not just a message for the moms of little kids. That's that's the message for the ministers of the gospel to all ages and all generations and all families and all teachers in every place. I mean, I... I think of the example of a man named Alexander White. Some of the preachers in the room will know. He's a famous Scottish preacher of a century ago. And he talks about another community in crisis. And the ministers of the community got together in Dr. White's home to figure out what to do. and, And they figured out what they would do. And then they all left it except for one older man who just lingered at the house. Ever have somebody who just lingers at the house? It became uncomfortable. Why doesn't he go? And finally, when there could be no explanation anymore, the older man said to Dr. White, and now, Dr. White, what word of comfort do you have for an old sinner like me? And Alexander White, even though it was said in jest, later wrote, it took my breath away. He was an old saint, but he had lost the comfort of the gospel. Dr. White said he didn't quite know what to do, so he he just got up from his chair and he walked across the room to where the older man was seated. He extended his hand, took the hand of the older man and said, we have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. The words from the prophet Micah. Not much more was said, but the next day a message came from the older man to Dr. White's office. Dear Dr. White, those words that you spoke to me were strength to my soul. I had lost hope, but you reminded me of the heart of my Lord. I will never doubt him again. And the next time Satan throws my sin in my face, I will say, yes, It's true, and you know not the half of it. But I have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. And so do I. And so do you. It's the beauty of the gospel. We have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. Who is the God that you perceive who is sitting bystander to your life, frowning on every misbehavior, every fault, the ogre in the sky who's going to get you for the things that go wrong? Do you not recognize that we have to deal with the one who delights in mercy? And that's why the Apostle Paul, before he would give any obligation, any responsibility, any duty, says don't even begin to try to serve God and to remember who you're serving. It will destroy your walk. It will destroy your joy. It will destroy your strength unless you first remember that you are dealing with the one who delights in mercy. Why did he send Jesus? Because he delights in mercy, And Jesus himself, because of the joy set before him, went to the cross for you and me. He delights in showing mercy. And that ultimately is not just motivation. It becomes the power of the Christian life. Look how the apostle uses it. Yes, in that first verse he says, I urge you by the mercies of God. But then what's the effect? Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but what? transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable. Yeah, you're supposed to test and approve and do the will of God. But what what accomplishes that? What enables that? What empowers that? Ultimately, the apostle is saying mercy is not just motivation. It is the power of transformation. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now I must tell you, in our kind of general evangelical circles, we often take these words, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and it gets put in some conference or seminar on Christian worldview. You know, you're supposed to be improving your mind, that's going to change everything. So, so read good books, uh, go to good churches, uh, listen to good sermons, think big thoughts. You know, improve your mind. Now listen, there are certainly verses in the Bible on a Christian worldview. This is not one of them. What's the issue here? Don't be conformed to this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you recognize the subject of mercy is not just beginning in Romans chapter 12? The apostle actually opened the door to this discussion as he is grieving for his own Jewish family. Romans 10, in the opening verses, he's talking about his own Jewish family and what their current grief is. Listen to what he says. Romans 10, verse 2. I can bear them witness, that is my Jewish family. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Do you hear that? There is something wrong with their minds. What is wrong? Verse 3 of Romans 10. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What what was their zeal? I have a zeal to do things for God. I'm going to be righteous before God. I'm going to do the right thing so that God will... And what will let me do that? I have a zeal for my righteousness. I'm going to make things right with God. And the consequence is, They felt the blood of Jesus was not necessary for them at all. And therefore they could not submit to God and his provision and his righteousness. What what, what could they do? If if you think that what makes God good to you is how good you are to God, then the only choices you have in life to, to have God care for you, love for you, take care of you, is you have to compete with other people. You have to compare with other people. Pride begins to drive you. Oh, listen, you know, you, here's what, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm not perfect. I, I, I really, I know that. I'm not perfect. I'm just better than those people over there. Right. Right. Lord, that church help. over there. Those people who hurt my family. Those people who don't deserve the love of God. No. The mercy of God is our power to live the Christian life Because ultimately, when you recognize it's not your merits but God's mercy that humbles you, it changes the way you look at other people because you're not living for competition, comparison, and control. You're actually trying to offer your body as a living sacrifice to the God who has shown you mercy. And His mercy becomes the filter by which you are looking at every word and action in your own. Does this fit with the mercy of God? Is is this conforming to the world? Or is this transformed living that's transformed by living according to one who has been made right with God by mercy alone and not by merit? How will it change you? Actually, we see in the very passage itself, people say it's so strange that Paul talks about mercy and then he begins to move to our obligations. But it makes perfect sense. What is reasonable service For those made right with God by mercy rather than by merit. If you look in your Bibles, verse 10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor? But Lord, they don't deserve honor. They they divided this church during covid They left us. They didn't support us. Outdo one another. But they're wrong. They don't deserve honor. Yes, says the Lord. But I delight in mercy. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. And we think, but Lord... Don't you know what he did to my family? Don't you know how badly he hurt me? Yes. But I delight in mercy. It almost gets harder to offer your body as this living sacrifice. Verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And we think, but Lord, they started this fight. wasn't me. They started it. Yes, it's true. But I delight in mercy. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. God, that is not reasonable. No, it's not. But it is reasonable service. For those who have received the mercy of God. As you have been forgiven, so we forgive. The summary of it all is in chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. But Lord, they're so weak. They're such a burden to this church. He's such a burden to my family. The addictions, the anger, the repeated sin, the failures, the lack of resolve... Why do we have to care for people like them? (laughs) Because we are people like them. And our God delights in mercy. So we live for him even for the people who do not deserve it. Why should we be so kind and forgiving and merciful? Because mercy has claimed us and motivates us and empowers us. If you don't know mercy, you can't do this. It's only out of a heart filled with mercy, undeserved, fully knowing the grace of God, that you have any desire at all to show mercy. It's unreasonable for any other reason. But it, if it fills you, it changes you. And then you're not conformed to the ways of the world or the thinking of the world or the reactions of the world. You are transformed by the gospel working itself out in your life. How does, how does mercy become... Power. I mean, just think of the example of of one of my friends, the mission leader, Paul Koistra. And he tells the account of young in his career. He was working in a disadvantaged school district in a poor part of the United States. And and it was just awful, so many disadvantages for young children. And, And the consequence was so many did not read as they should. And you know, whenever there was a child who did not read well, they were put in a remedial reading program. And the problem with that was... Once you got labeled as a problem reader, the label stuck. No one who went into the remedial reading program ever came out. It was like an academic whirlpool. Except for one young woman. Her name was Edie. And because she ran track, they called her Speedy Edie. Edie got out. She got back up on grade level. And of course, now all the the, the administrators begin to speak to her teacher. Did you give Edie a different book? No. D- d- different curriculum. Well, no. Different method of teaching? No. Well, you must have done something different. Said the teacher, well, you, do you know that Edie runs track? Yeah, we know all about Speedy Edie. Said the teacher. Sometimes I went to her track meets and I cheered for her. And that was the difference. There was someone for her. Is there anyone for you? There is someone who delights in mercy. There is someone who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all so that he could be for us now and eternally. And he is declaring over you and me the reality of who we are, holy and acceptable to God. That is who you are. We know our failures, our sins, our weaknesses. They burden us. They weigh us down. We actually know they are true. But what God has done is he has already declared our relationship with him and our status before him. Just, just think of it. I mean, the football season just begins again. And we're on the long road to the Super Bowl. And just imagine if you were in whatever stadium it is, that, that final play, the winning touchdown, and, and the crescendo of the cheer that goes up from the stadium. And I want to assure you that that cheer is small. Compared to 10,000 times, 10,000 angels joined by the voice of the one who sits upon the throne and who says to you, holy and acceptable are you before the God of heaven. And the angels rejoice and they are rejoicing this Very day over you. He knows the worst about you. He knows what is hidden from all others. And for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, He says, By the mercies of God, holy and acceptable are you to God. By mercy, He saved us. By mercy, He motivates us. By mercy, He empowers us. By mercy, By mercy, by mercy, it is the echo of grace that makes our service sweet and our hearts strong. May God so give you the joy of the Lord that is your strength by the mercy of God that is found in the grace of Jesus Christ. And may Jesus Christ be praised in the life that you live as one holy and acceptable to him by the mercies of God. Father, so work the gospel into our hearts that we who have been loved by you would measure it, not by our merits, but by your mercy. Make Jesus so present in heart and mind that we are strengthened to get up again and go again and serve him out of the joy that is our strength This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.